History Notes. Welcome to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. History Notes reports on the people, places, monuments, and events that have shaped our society. Sometimes we examine what has occurred long ago, and at times we look at history happening now. Grab a pad, a pen, or a digital device and get engaged with History Notes. Welcome to History Notes. I'm Rodney Dawson, Curator of Education at the Greensboro History Museum, and this is our new season of History Notes and 2022, and we're celebrating women, Women's History Month, and we're going to spotlight women in media. So we picked up the phone and sent out some emails and targeted some of the very prominent and impactful women in media that we have here in the triad. And today we're delighted to talk to Natalie Wilson. She's from Athens, Georgia. We're going to ask her why she didn't go to the University of Georgia later on. But uh, she come to, comes to us from WGHP Fox 8 over in Hot Point, where I'm from. So, uh, Natalie, we've been watching you for quite some time. Appreciate you coming to this area. You all do a fantastic job. And uh, like I said, we're just happy and pleased that you took some time out to join us here for History Notes. Absolutely. You're welcome, Rodney. Okay. And uh, I alluded to it earlier. You're from Athens. Yes. Tell me what that's like. You know, I, I, <laughs> I follow a lot of college football, and one of my bucket lists is to go between the hedges. <laughs> get down there and watch a football game there. So, but tell us what was it like in Athens, Georgia? Why didn't you go to the University of Georgia? I'm glad you went to Howard, but why didn't you go to the University of Georgia? And then I'm going to ask you like, what you miss most about, about Georgia, and then I'll throw in another question. Okay, sounds good. Well, Rodney, to answer your first question, what was it like growing up in Athens? Great place to grow up. Certainly a college town, as you know, so football was everywhere. Georgia Bulldog signs, T-shirts, it's everywhere. Actual Bulldog statues downtown and throughout Athens. So if one of the things that I miss most is seeing all those landmarks and just being in a diehard football city. But it was a lot of fun, a lot of culture, I would say, in Athens. Great music scene, a lot of food, a lot of history there. And I think it was certainly a great place for my parents to raise a family. You had that Southern pace to it, but you also had a little bit of a sense of diversity in that bubble. So I enjoyed Athens, met a lot of great friends and a lot of classmates from different backgrounds, probably some of that because of the university being there. Some of their parents were there because of that, maybe being an educator. So I had a nice mix of friends from all different backgrounds, all walks of life. So it was a really good experience for me. I'm very fond of Athens and you'll probably ask me this later, but bowling was a big part of the things that I was involved in. I played soccer down there. So it was a it was a great experience, and it's a place I enjoy visiting often, even though I don't get to as much these days. And it's interesting when you ask me why didn't I go to the University of Georgia because they have a great journalism program. But and that was that was the plan, Rodney. Growing up, I always said I wanted to go to UGA, but something shifted. I would say probably my sophomore year of high school, where I really wanted that HBCU experience. That was very very important to me especially having learned more about it. Now, I didn't necessarily learn about HBCUs in school, which was interesting. I learned about it through my family. My mom is an HBCU graduate. She went to Benedict College undergrad. My sister went to Albany State University in Albany, Georgia. 
So it was a big part of the culture in my family and my church, Ebenezer Baptist Church West in Athens. They did a college tour every year for, I want to say you may have had to be a sophomore or junior. And we would do a tour of different HBCUs across the country. And so when I went my junior year, we went to Norfolk, we went to Hampton, we went to Howard, and there were some other places we stopped at. And when I got on the campus at Howard, I said, okay, this is it. This is my dream school. And and that was that. Well, you know, that was a perfect answer, except for one thing. You, you didn't mention What's North that? Carolina. You didn't mention North Carolina A&T. You know what? I'm trying to think. We did go to North Carolina A&T. We sure did. Yes, we did. And I so that, applied to that A&T. That means you turned us down then. Well, the money wasn't there, right? I didn't get any scholarship, but I got you. I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, so it didn't work out, but I did apply to a and I was accepted. It was certainly on my list. And that's interesting. At all the schools I applied to were HBCUs. And I think some of my classmates were like, you didn't even apply to Georgia? I said, no, you know, it's a great school. But my heart, my journey, I really felt like that was important for me for my life experience and just my own personal identity and really understanding who I am as a woman. And I, I wanted that. I just wanted that. And, you know, it worked out very, very well. That was probably one of the great, greatest experiences of my life, being at Howard University. Well, you went to what they call the Mecca. <laughs> so, and, and you're an alumnus there as well as the uh, current vice president. So, uh, that, that, you know, Howard is, has been producing some quality product for, since its inception. So, uh, well, thank uh, you. We're glad you, you made it through there. Now, you know, what, growing up, I wanted to be in journalism, not journalism, but I wanted to be in broadcast. I went into the military, came out of the military, and I said, either I'm going to be a police officer or I'm going to work in broadcast. And the radio station called me first. So I ended up working for some time at Intercom Communications here. But it was always, I was fascinated with mics. I talked to other guests that we're featuring here, Tanya Rivera over at another station. And she was always fascinated with the microphone and just telling stories. So coming out of Athens, coming from the family background that you talked about and the narratives that are passed down, what pushed you into, I want to get a degree in communications? Wow. I think that was, speaking was a gift that I had at a young age, Rodney. I think when I was younger, I was a little bit afraid of it. Sometimes I would shy away from it. But I would say my parents really said, no, you're, you're really gifted at that. You need to kind of move in that direction and kind of explore that a little bit more. And I think once I got past that whole shy thing and the scared thing, I started to step out into it a little bit more. But I was, I, I would say I caught the, quote, news bug at an early age. My elementary school, we had a, a broadcasting program, believe it or not. And so I did morning announcements, but it was a little bit, I would say, a little bit more elevated than, you know, just being on the PA system. We actually had a broadcast program where we taught kids or the teachers taught kids, I should say, how to use cameras. I remember an actual mini studio with three cameras. We had a sound operator. We had a set and you had your broadcasters on the set. And I want to say it was called you know, maybe like Barnett Shoals or BS TV. Barnett Shoals was the name of the elementary school. And we would have a news program. And my mother always tells the story of me being a little fourth grade girl interviewing a local judge. And she said my feet couldn't even touch the floor. And she was just so tickled that I was asking these judge all these questions. 
And so I really enjoyed that. And I remember, if I'm not mistaken, there was a group that came maybe from Tokyo to visit to sort of see how they launched that. But I was exposed to it at a young age. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed doing the news program, even as a fourth, fifth grader. And that stayed with me. But as I get older, Rodney, I think maybe me moving into communications also had to do with my upbringing. News was always on in my house. And I used to tease my mom. She would watch maybe the 5 p.m. news then the 6 o'clock news. Then she would turn it on and watch one station at 10 and another at 11. And then she would watch nightly news in between. And then after all the local news went off, she was watching hard copy. And I'm like, my wife, it, at that age, I was like, wow, you're always watching this. It's the same. Mm-hmm. Mom, why are you always looking at that? And so, but I paid attention. And one of the broadcasters who influenced me the most Monica Kaufman, who is now Monica Pearson, very well known in broadcasting and a pioneer in the industry for sure as a Black woman, but not just as a Black woman, just a solid journalist, period. If you go to Atlanta, you go to Georgia and you call her name, people know who that is. So, you know, seeing her and really how she just owned who she was and was in sort of her own box. All of those things, I think, played a role into why I'm going to communications. And I, I'm fascinated with people's stories. I really like hearing people's journeys, their backgrounds. And we all have a story to tell. We really do. We're talking with Natalie Wilson from WGHP. And you're walking us through what the different experiences you had growing up that brought you to this field, your career field of broadcasting or journalism. And you touched on something, the importance of having folks in your life that will nurture and encourage in a particular area, even if you have fear. And I'll give you a personal, quick personal story. The, my, my daughter's school principal knows that I work at a museum and he was approached by the Kelly Clarkson show last year about, they were looking for students in the Greensboro area to talk, to tie in the sit-in movement, February 1, 1960 sit-in movement and MLK. It was on uh, for MLK uh, holiday. And so they reached out to several schools and he called me and, and he said, my daughter's name is Layla. So you think Layla will, will be interested? And I said, well, I, I'll ask her. I said, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity. And I asked my daughter and she said, no, I don't want to do that. And I told her, well, you look, you're telling me no, because you don't think you're going to do a quality job. That's one thing. You're telling me no out of fear. That's not acceptable. You know, we're going to try. You had to audition for it a little bit. And she said, I said, you're going to have, you will try not going to let fear stop you. If you don't make it, that's one thing, you know, but not to try, you know, that's, you already know what that looks like. And so she did. And uh, she got the, the the gig and she met Kelly Clark's virtual and she appeared on the show and uh, a couple stations covered it and it was all in the paper, but it's, it just reinforces the point of having parents there that urge you and, and nudge you along and have that background. And uh, I think we, we need more of that. And he talked about the mentors you have and, and family members and, you know, big mama up the street and Papa Joe, whomever. We need more of those folks to see a gift in someone and push that along. So I'm glad they did that to you. And you talked about going to an HBCU. You went to Howard University. And for those that don't know, tell them what city that's in. Washington, D.C. Okay. <laughs> and Howard nation's is, capital. Yeah, nation's capital. And Howard is something. I'm a member of a fraternity and he, Kappa Alpha Psi. And I was talking to someone. I'm always talking too much. So let me hurry up. 
I was talking to someone and he talked about how membership at Howard for the fraternity dwindled or it went down in the 1960s because of the politically charged environment, black power movement, things of that nature. So people weren't looking to join a fraternity unless they were had a purpose about empowering the community. And so that is unique. We have a social justice history here in Greensboro, a rich one. But in D.C. and on the campus of Howard University, how impactful is it just walking the grounds of the folks that have walked before you? We talked about the vice president and others that folks may not be aware of, aware of. How impactful and those in broadcasting that came out of Howard, how impactful was that experience for you? Oh, goodness. That's extremely empowering, Rodney, because you you realize and, you know, a girlfriend of mine, she says something so powerful one time. She said, you know, a lot of times people have this idea of people who come from Howard of, you know, feeling themselves or kind of having a certain attitude. And she said, no, that's a miss. That's 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 not seeing it with the right lens. It's just that when you leave that university, you know exactly who you are. And when she said that, that hit me. I was like, you know what? You articulated that so well. When you come from a place where you may not see the fullness of your own community or the diversity in your own community, when you get on that campus, you're seeing people, Black people, from all walks of life. Some of the most intelligent men and women I have ever met in my life met on that campus. Some of the most creative people I've ever met in my life were on that campus. And it was very empowering and also very freeing because I think growing up in the South, Rodney, I had my own experiences and my own stories. And of course, my parents saw things in their own generation. And it felt like when you were there, you didn't have anything to prove. You could just truly be yourself. And you were seen for who you are. You know, you didn't have to prove, no, I deserve to be in this class or no, I'm just as intelligent as everybody else. It, it was just very liberating. And that was the first time in my life that I was the majority, right? So now the world is not black. That is a bubble. But I do think it has a tremendous amount of value, especially when you're at an age and you're coming into yourself, you're coming into your own, you're discovering who you are, you're understanding where you come from. That's an important piece of the puzzle. And that's why I liked Howard, too, because, yes, you had that bubble of Howard University, but you were in Washington, D.C., an absolute melting pot with so many different cultures and backgrounds. And so, you know, I had connections with people who may have went to American University. You also had Georgetown, you know, so you had people at different places to still add that fabric to your life. But I remember in the, this, what we used to call the School of C, the School of Communications, and you saw the pictures of all the alum and the broadcasters who had gone on and done wonderful things, including Frederica Whitfield. CNN, you know, you, it let, it let you, when you had that sort of tangible reach out and touch picture of, okay, he did it. She did it. You know, we can do it too. We're still a part of this. You don't realize how empowering that is and how motivating that is. Just letting you know that you really can do anything that you want to do, that this is a new day and you shouldn't waste it because, you know, my grandparents didn't have these opportunities, not even close. So we have so many more options today, and I'm excited for the kids that are learning about HBCUs and are really excited. You know, this these past two years, I think, really exposed HBCUs to a totally different audience. 
I hear even today people who tell me who were my age to say, you know, I, I didn't know this was an option because it wasn't pushed in my school. And it wasn't necessarily pushed in my school either, but I came from a background from my family and my church where I knew about it. So I think that's changing. I think it's shifting. It may not be for everybody. You know, I don't want to sort of put everybody into one category. That may not be the experience for everyone. But it's nice knowing that for those who are interested in that and see the value in that, that those things are being highlighted more today. While you were there, did you check out Ben's Chili Bowl? Oh, goodness. You street. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think when I was there, I did not. I always passed it. And there was always oh. the line. I, I oh. know. I know. But U Street, goodness, that was one of my favorite places. The 930 Club had a lot of music and a lot of up and coming talent. That was one of my favorite places. So D.C. is special to me, but I, I do have to get a bowl of chili, Riley. I need to do that. I really need to do that. Check, check and I've, I've never had, I've always gone there to get hot dogs. And then I've always, okay. I, when I go to D.C., I always try to pick up some go-go music because I think it's all. Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. You're bringing back so many memories. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know Howard was such a compact campus. You know, you think Howard, theater of the mind. I just thought it was just going to be this 200-acre campus with all these vast uh, buildings. But it's, it's uh, not small, but everything's just compact. But I guess you're in Washington, D.C. It has to be. Yeah, yeah. So I would say the heart of it is in that area off of Georgia Avenue. Okay. I'm going to get a couple more yeah. questions in before we take this break. But then you went on to grad school with John Hopkins. Medical. That's, you know, you think John, John Hopkins <laughs> thinking, okay, you're going to be a doctor. But you were there. So what was Baltimore like? Just a short trip down to Baltimore and being on that campus. Well, interestingly enough, Rodney, the communications program was actually, they had that campus in D.C. in the DuPont Circle area. So at that time, I would get off of work and my news director at the station I was working at it was a community television station called CTV News. He was, they, everybody there was so supportive of me when I made that decision. So they would let me get off early. It must have been maybe Wednesdays. I would go back to D.C. and then take the bus to the DuPont Circle campus. So at that time, I had to take that first course in my program in person. And then the rest, I was able to do hybrid learning just to give me some flexibility in case job opportunities came through. I wouldn't have to stop my program or stop working. I can do them both at the same time. So I didn't get the Baltimore experience just where that particular program was housed. But I will say about that, um, so impressed with a lot of the professors that we had. Many of them were still working in communications as they were teaching. And just the knowledge that they had was amazing. Same for Howard. Um, Mm -hmm. Just really impressed with the life lessons that they also brought to their classroom curriculum. So that was also a great experience. Two very different experiences, but nonetheless, you know, very satisfied with the education I received there. Good stuff. Good stuff. And, you know, and you, we talked about some of the impactful people in your life with parents and teachers and, and other folks, but we'll never, the average viewer or listener here for this podcast, won't get a chance or viewer at WGHP, won't get a chance to meet those uh, loved ones that left a mark in your life. But what characteristics can we see in you today? You know, if we see you on the air that was passed on to you or you picked up from one of those 
those loved ones that you talked about earlier. Oh, goodness. Faith. Absolutely. And I will say, going back to your story about your daughter, and I remember when we broadcast that, it was such a powerful story, Rodney, when you were talking about fear and that not being the reason we're not going to do it. Let me tell you, you still will may have to deal with that in adulthood. And my mom is still an amazing mentor, you know, in my life. She's my mother, but she's also, you know, she's also a mentor where she has to encourage me, you know, when I, I may be, you know, wrestling with, you know, because I'm actually, I consider myself an introvert, okay? I'm not really, even though I work on TV, I'm not necessarily somebody who is always comfortable being front and center. So that has been a battle for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, we had to take a break. No, no, no. I was saying oh, that, I'm sorry, you're... Of, that makes two <laughs> okay. of us. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, guys. I was uh, misreading his. He was just identifying me with me when he raised his hand for those who can't see us. Yeah. So I still wrestle with that, Rodney, because there's a part of me. I'm very introverted. I'm not necessarily that wants to be, hey, look at me or be in front of the stage. But I know that I have to do certain things because it's what I'm called to do. Right. And my mother still has to encourage me or be like, you know, no, Natalie, no, it's okay to do that. Or, you know, she still gives me that nudge. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't go away. My mother, my parents, both of them, my mother and father, but I say my mother because, you know, we're talking constantly throughout the day. But especially her, she has not only taught me about getting out of fear, getting out of my shell, getting out of my comfort zone sometimes and balancing that with also taking time for myself. But she is a true woman of God. I have learned so much from her about faith, patience, forgiveness. There are things I will share with her and she will put a totally different spin on it. And I'm still learning from her today, even as an adult woman. So I think the characteristics people see in me has a lot to do with her, what I've learned from her, what I still learn from her. And that has really and continues to be just a wonderful part of my life. And I was, we were having a conversation the other day and I just say, mom, you know, just thank you. I appreciate you so much. So I know everybody does not have that. So I don't take that for granted. But for those who do have that, you know, really value your parents' lessons. I know sometimes in our youth, we can kind of Oh, yeah, that's just mama, you know, and roll our eyes. But, Mm. you know, your parents do have a tremendous amount of wisdom that you will find as you get older continues to have an important part of your life. That's a and that's a beautiful thing to say is my mother is my you familiar with Nicole Hannah Jones. Oh, yeah, she's taught at Carolina and she's now at Howard. Absolutely. And. uh, Dr. Cornell West, he has a master class that's on Prime, Amazon Prime. Only seeing it, but I just started watching it a couple of days ago. And Nicole Hannah Jones was featured in one of the episodes, and she talked about her father and his wisdom. And she said, when you're younger, sometimes you don't appreciate this wisdom that comes from your parents, and then later on see it. So you touched on that too. I so I, that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and you know, full disclosure, I usually pray before an episode and if I feel comfortable I'll ask someone at hey, my guest hey you mind if we pray right quick but I didn't know you so I didn't ask you that question I just said a quick one but uh you must have prayed yourself beforehand and you know I, 
I know some people frown on that uh, if you're a broadcaster and expressing your faith, but for me, that's an important part of my life. That's a big part of my identity. So I think, you know, I don't shove views or opinions out anybody's throat. I think that's irresponsible. But I'm also not going to deny who I am. You know, being a Christian woman is a big part of my journey. And it's a big part of who I am, how I treat people, trying to love people, trying to show empathy, trying to show compassion. So perhaps maybe that will also encourage somebody who may be wrestling with that as well. Just being open about their faith and, you know, sharing that part of their life, because that has made a difference. You know, there have been times where I would pray before I went on the set, you know, just asking, not really making it about me, but that people would see God in me and that, you know, God, I would be the vessel. vessel. Right, right. Yes, absolutely. I would be the vessel for your will to be done. So that is also a big part of my life. And I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed to share that. Great. Well, that's great. And that this is good. I'm going to insert a break here. And then when I come back, I'm going to touch on that faith that you have and the encouragement that your mother gave you, because I'm going to ask you about the places you've been. You're obviously uh, not afraid to travel. You go to Georgia <laughs> and go to D.C. and come to North Carolina. And, and I'm really interested, being that you spent some time in the nation's capital, about some of your recognitions, particularly uh, the National Black Programming Consortium and the White House Correspondents Association. And uh, so we'll come back and, and ask you about that. So we're talking to Natalie Wilson from Athens, Georgia, then went to Washington, D.C. And, and uh, now we're fortunate to have her here in the triad in my hometown, or at least she works in my hometown, High Point, North Carolina. So this is Rodney Dawson, and we'll come back after the break on History Notes. You've been listening to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. To learn more about this podcast and many more, visit our website at www.greensborohistory.org. Now let's listen in to History Notes. Welcome back to History Notes. I'm your host, Rodney Dawson, Curator of Education, Greensboro History Museum. Don't forget to check us out. What are our hours? We're closed on Monday. However, our staff has you can't come on Mondays, but Tuesday through Saturday, we're 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And on Sunday, we're 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. You can also check us out online at greensborohistory.org. And those that are asking about our award-winning, Natalie had an award-winning Pieces of Now exhibit that was in response to the murder of George Floyd. And we've had to take it down because we have an upcoming exhibit, North Carolina Democracy. But the Pieces of Now exhibit still exists online. And we uh, had a wonderful guy who used this software and it's a virtual online. So it's not like you just click a room and see it. You can actually walk through it. And we had monitors everywhere. So wherever there was a monitor in the live exhibit, you can see the monitor online. You click it, it'll play the same videos. And so I encourage people, if you want to still check out Pieces of Now, go to our website, uh, then click exhibits and select Pieces of Now and you can check it out. Uh, So anywhere in the world, you can visit the Greensboro History Museum. And you can also check out this podcast anywhere you, you normally get your podcast and including on our website. Speaking of the world, you travel. You talked about how mom said, you know, it's okay, Natalie. You can do that. Talking to Natalie Wilson from WGHP. And how long have you been at, at GHP? It will be eight years in April. Is it eight years? Yes. 2014, I came. <laughs> and, and you guys are doing some great work there too. Thank you. I appreciate that encouragement. Yeah. So, but you haven't always been here. So where, did, where was your first station? What was it like getting that first job in me? <laughs> where was it? 
Well, Ronnie, so after I graduated from Howard, I stayed in D.C. for a couple of years and I started working in news behind the scenes. So I was a production assistant in Washington, D.C., WRC TV. That's the NBC affiliate for the local news station there. A great station, wonderful station, probably some of the most talented people in my career. I got to see there. I mean, some of them have gone on to network. A lot of people you see on NBC Nightly News, the Today Show, were there working at WRC when I was there. But again, I was behind the scenes at that time. So I was kind of watching and learning what I did as a production assistant. So I would have to help the producer of the show. I may write one or two stories. I had to help with numbering the rundown. So the rundown is basically a list of the stories in a show for people who are not familiar with that terminology. That's what we would call, that's basically your blueprint of all of the stories in the newscast. And so I would number the rundown, print those, give them to the director, as well as the the production team. So they would know how to direct the anchors on the floor. I would um, print the scripts and organize the scripts for the anchors because at that time, and some actually, even in this day, some places prefer paper scripts as opposed to the iPad that we use. Mm -hmm. So the production assistant would have to run scripts in and out of the studio to the anchors. And so that was part of what I did. And you just had to make sure you made it in time for them (laughs) to have their copy. That that, that was a plan soccer kept you. I was going to say those days playing soccer. And then, <laughs> yeah, it kept yeah. me on my toes, for sure. So you were basically an assistant to the producer, if I had to put it in a nutshell. So I did that for maybe, goodness, for maybe about two years. And then there became an opportunity. I knew I wanted to be on air. So on my days off, I would come in and shadow the reporters and say, hey, do you mind if I just come in and maybe shoot some stuff for my resume tape. Your resume tape is what you need to basically get your job in broadcasting Mm -hmm. if you want to be in front of the camera, particularly. So I would come in and try to get my feet wet and go out with them on stories to shadow them, essentially. And then an opportunity came open in the DMV, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, at a station called CTV News, which is a community television station based in Prince George's County. And Prince George's County is part of the coverage area there. If you're familiar with FedEx Field, Largo, Maryland, we were (laughs) right up the road from FedEx Field just to give our viewers um, sort of a visual of that. So I started freelancing there while I was working as a production assistant at night at WRC. And it got to the point where you know, CTV was calling me often. And even though I wasn't full time, I was, I would say freelancing frequently enough where they liked my work when an opportunity to go full time came along, I I took it. So then I started working in Prince George's County, Maryland, living in DC still, but commuting there. And after that, I may have been there maybe about two years there. Then I went to Charlottesville, Virginia, And worked at the NBC affiliate there, NBC 29, and was there from 2012 to 2014. And then in 2014, learned that WGHP was launching a 4 p.m. newscast. And it sounded like the information that I heard about it. It was what I was looking for. And I have been in the triad since 2014 and has been a wonderful experience. Really, really loved the station. 
love uh, working with the people I work with and, of course, this community. The community has been amazingly supportive. In radio, you said the resume tape. In radio, we, used to call, we call it, or they used to call it, the air check. The air check, the air that's check, right. Yeah, in, uh, <laughs> but let's go back up and, uh, up and down the road here a little bit. So paint the picture like, oh, what a market is. In my days in radio, I remember that the triad was like high 40s. You know, to yeah. look at the top 100, they by size, I think the triad was like in the high 40s, 48, 49 or something like that. So... DC, what size market was it? How competitive competitive was it compared to like maybe Charlottesville or here? Oh, absolutely. So DC is a top 10 market. So the people that you're seeing there are people who have probably had a couple of stops, as we would say, Mm -hmm. uh, been a couple of different places. But, you know, you may have that rarity where people go there on their second gig. You know, talent is talent. So I... I don't want to discourage anybody (laughs) if that's your dream and, you know, that's where you want to be and you maybe need a couple of more years. But I would say, generally speaking, those are people who have a lot of experience in the business, really at the top of their game. And I would say that that is a competitive market. Absolutely. Being in the nation's capital. If you were to go on that website and look at the bios of the people there. There, I mean, there's some really strong talent and people coming to the table with areas of expertise. You may have people who have a political background, people who have focused on a particular beat, who may have specialized in covering Prince George's County, people who may have specialized in covering transportation, people who can do a little bit of everything. So the talent level there, to me, it, that was almost like my grad school, just watching them watching the way they thought, watching the way they told a story and people who had their own personalities in the way that they did it. So I would also say, so to kind of put that in comparison, I would say where we are, we are in the 40s, like you say, maybe about 46 last time I checked, Rodney. But even in Charlottesville, that was market 183. Mm -hmm. So that was considered a small market. But let me tell you, we didn't play like it. You know, we hustled, we had breaking news, and I would put that station against many media market stations that are out there because I think it's all about your newsroom culture and your mindset. You know, that may be what your market size is on paper, but news is news at the end of the day. People are counting on you to make decisions that relate to their family. They're counting on you to give them accurate information, the latest information, so that they can make constructive decisions about what's happening in their lives. You know, a lot of stuff we've seen unfold over the last few years had to do with schools. Right. That, that is a topic that's relevant in Washington, D.C., North Carolina, Florida, any part of the country, parents care about that. So I think no matter where you go, there are some basic overlaps of the community that you serve and just really making sure that you're bringing to the table a product, a quality product that people trust ultimately. So yes, those numbers are based on how many viewers, how many eyeballs are on you. But honestly, I would say the core principles are the same no matter where you go. And I've seen just amazing talent that's inspired me in every market that I've worked in, in different capacities. 
you know, in sports, they talk about talent. They say, we'll find talent. You can go to Jackson State or you can go to Mud Creek Tech University or you can go to uh, University of Georgia. How nervous were you in, uh, this year in the uh, national championship game? Yes, I was pulling for the Bulldogs. I said, how nervous were you? Did you have any anxiety at all? Well, you know, that was seemed to be, you know, Alabama was that one team, Rodney, that, you know, they were just having a time with it, it seemed like. So I may have been a little nervous, but I'm glad that they pulled it out. I really am. (laughs) But yeah, I'm happy for you. And I was happy for Georgia. They've always been like, (laughs) They're right at the door and they finally got over the hump. That's right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. And so, but talent, they'll find talent. The NFL will find you no matter where you go to school, NBA, all that. It seems like the media folks will find you as well. So you've been recognized in your career also by the White House Correspondents Association. When I think White House Correspondents Association, I think of the White House Correspondents Dinner. Where they, yes. And uh, so what, what, what was that recognition? Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, part of the recognition, Rodney, was going to the dinner. That was an amazing night. So it was me and two other young ladies. The last I heard, they had gone on to work in broadcasting. I think one was at USA Today and another one went on to work for Bloomberg News. But two sharp young ladies um, that I went to school with. And it's my understanding that Howard was specifically selected that year. They wanted to give scholarships to three students who were aspiring journalists and you had to apply. I remember going to the Career Education Center in the School of Communications and one of the counselors there was encouraging people to apply. And so I did. And I will never forget my parents came to visit and they were dropping me off at school and I checked my mailbox at school and I had a letter saying I'd been chosen and they were getting ready to leave to go back home. And I ran and told them, I said, I got it. I got it. And so <laughs> part of the award was going to the dinner. And unfortunately, you couldn't, I think because of the seating, my parents weren't able to come, but they could watch it live on C-SPAN. And that night, Rodney, it just felt like we were in a movie. It was amazing. So that what was in 2007, 2007. 2007. Yes. Yeah, so year 2007, we all, we got all dressed up and we get there and we're meeting all of these big names. We met Condoleezza Rice. We met Katie Couric. We met David Gregory, you know, people who were some big names in politics, big names in journalism. I remember Ann Curry was there. She spoke with us behind the scenes and, you know, people were willing to just take pictures with us. And the real whopper was, you know, they asked people to sort of clear this particular room. I think it was kind of a mix and mingle place and they called the scholarship winners back. And so next thing I know, we're in this room and First Lady Laura Bush and President Bush walk in. And President Bush, when I remember about him, he had an amazing sense of humor. And so, you know, you're talking to the commander in chief, and I had never seen him in that context. You know, 2007 was a really kind of tense time for the country. <laughs> and I remember the young ladies said, you know, Mr. President, thank you for working with journalists and taking our questions. I know we can be tough. And he said, woo, baby, who you telling? <laughs> and we started laughing. And he, he, he put his arm around us and he asked us where we were from. And I told him Georgia and one of the young ladies is her hometown is in Alabama. He said, oh, Alabama, that's a good country down there. So he was, you know, we were having these conversations 
But also it was a heavy time. You know, Virginia Tech, this wasn't long after the Virginia Tech shootings. And I do remember the editor in chief of the student newspaper was there and being honored that night. And First Lady Laura Bush talked about the partnership that she and the work she was doing with Howard University Hospital. And so we got to talk to them a little bit. We did a photo op and, and that was really amazing. And I didn't realize until later, Rodney, how important that was to my family. You know, my mom, yes, it was a great honor, but my mom made an interesting point about, you know, your grandparents had an elementary school education and now their granddaughter is meeting the president of the United States, you know, so it really meant a lot to them just to have that opportunity. And I'm not sure that would have come had I not been at Howard. You know, that was a very specific partnership they wanted that year. So after that, we go on stage. The room is very loud, which you can't see on TV. The room is very loud, but they have microphones to kind of uh, Mm -hmm. pull out that ambient sound. So we were so nervous. We walk on stage and President Bush is on stage and he turns around. He says, smile, girls, you're on TV. So we waved and they introduced us. Mm. And, um, you know, people were applauded. We're very happy for us. And I remember going back to our table and the dean of our school, he was at one table. And then the other table we were sitting at were people we didn't know. But I believe there was, at that time, one of the top people in C-SPAN and maybe his wife. And I will never forget, she said, everybody, let's raise our glasses to these girls' futures. And everybody toasted to us. It felt very like great Gatsby. I don't know. (laughs) You know, that was so inspiring. And that's a memory I will never forget just for so many different reasons. I think people were, they were genuinely proud. People I didn't even know who were congratulating us. And I thought, thank you. I appreciate that, Rodney. Thank you. But I just think, you know, I I hope people won't, won't get disheartened by journalism. Journalism matters. It's still very important. And maybe... For them, it was just good to see that there were young people still interested in the profession because we, we really do have to think about the next generation. We really, really do, especially in a time where there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of, you know, distrust. We have to really try to restore that integrity of this field right now. We're on it. You still have the picture? I do. I still have the pictures. They were in my parents' homes, the official photos that we received. But I still have uh, cam- the pictures on my personal phone with David Gregory, Condoleezza Rice, Katie Kirk. I still keep those and I've, I've kept them protected so I can't delete them. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, really quickly, what about the National Black? You got another recognition, but the National Black Programming Consortium. Yes, I want to say that was uh, must have been 2006. And that is a huge, huge credit to one of my favorite professors of all time, influential professors, Professor Reggie Miles, my radio production professor who I keep in touch with. At one point, I didn't know if I wanted to go into radio or television. So that was recognition for a podcast I had done. Now, this was at a time where podcasts were not as popular as they are now. But a piece I had done, and I want to say it may have been related to the Gina, the Gina Six and what was going on in Gina, Louisiana. And the recognition I had gone, as you talked about earlier, 
as we touched. So, you know, activism was a huge thing at Howard and still is. And I remember when that was going on, we were in, the students held like a rally in Crampton Auditorium. And so I believe that was from my coverage of that. And you could, it started off with them chanting free the genus six and just really this getting a feel for the passion in the room during that time. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you this too, but I want to tell you a quick story. Back when I was in radio, I worked for WQMG here in Greensboro. Oh, and we did a little in off inner office. It was intercom. So we had a bunch of stations there. The time it was oldies 93. We had a gospel station, 1510, 102 jams, 97.1. We had a I did a little newsletter that just went in 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 our office. Just it didn't even make it outside of the building called the QMG Gazette. And I said, you know what? No one knows how small this is. I'm gonna see if I can get me some passes. I would get passes to go see the Hornets play and I would cover the game and I would show up with a laptop didn't even wasn't even hooked up to the internet i would sit on the same row with like usa today or other people covering the game and well in 2000 the debate the presidential debate came to wake bars it was uh gore and bush that you met and uh, so they handed out the capsule wake bars and i submitted for my press passes they they said yeah we got you come on up here so i'm in the line and I, everybody knows each other you know, because they've been on this circuit. And so the people at the table giving you your credentials. And the guy comes up, yeah, I'm with so-and-so, ABC News. They all, hey, Sam, how you doing, man? Come on through, how's the family? And they're like, so-and-so, I'm with uh, uh, USA Today. Oh, hey, how you doing? <laughs> so they come up to me. They said, yes, sir. I said, uh, Rodney Dawson, QMG Gazette. And he said, what? <laughs> I said, Rodney Dawson, QMG Gazette. They said, oh, they're trying to pay for <laughs> Okay, yeah, we got you. Go on and <laughs> so. <laughs> so I'm in there and I don't know what to do. And they had this big area for you could get food. And then every, all the stations had little cubby holes where they were broadcasting live. And so they had an area where we could eat. And I sat down at the table and I'm just like trying to minimize myself. I don't know why. And uh, some people sit down beside me and said, can we sit here? I'm like, yeah. So they sit down beside me and they're talking. And we get to talking and it dawns on me. I can't remember it was a male and a female. I can't remember who the female was, but the male was George Stephanopoulos. Wow. Yeah. And so I'm sitting here having dinner with him. And all of a sudden, like you said, we see a bunch of co- bunch of guys with coats line the aisle. They come and line the aisle and they tell us to stay where we are and not to move. And shortly thereafter, we see about three or four people look like they were carrying this man through those aisles. They were moving him briskly through those aisles. It was General Colin Powell. Wow, yeah, yeah. Secret Service getting them through. So, yeah, that was my little fake news moment that I got back. <laughs> like I was <laughs> big time. <laughs> They're going to put my stories in. And give me, give me I'm going to give you a rapid question here. So far in your career, if I had to give you, a, give me a Twitter response, you know, so far in your career, what's been your favorite story to cover? Baby Doe. That was a story about a young lady who was left underneath a stairwell in Greensboro in 1999. Mm. And she was left to die, but survived and is doing very, very well to this day. Very, very well. In fact, I, I may do a little tease. Some big news is coming out about where she's up to. And you may see that come May. So I'll say that. Okay. That was a story. She reached... Okay, so I was put in contact with a lady who knew her 
Terry Sims, Miss Terry Sims, who was a school social worker with Guilford County Schools, and reached out to me about sharing her story. And she, at that time, the purpose of the story was to find the people who rescued her. There were some people at an apartment complex, heard the baby crying. Lady was leaving for work that morning. I looked, saw the baby, the umbilical cord, and called first responders. The baby was taken to the hospital. And for that baby, who her name is Angel Thomas, and for the family who rescued her, that was the end of the story for many, many years. Neither knew what happened to the other. So when the story, I want to say, must have been 2017 when we did the initial story. That was the goal was to find the people who rescued her. Long story short, they met. It was very emotional and they became family, truly. And a lot of answers, including the biological mom, who we later learned was sexually abused. She was only 13 years old when she gave birth to the baby. Got some answers that her daughter survived, how she was doing. So I think it brought some closure to everybody involved. It um, opened some new chapters, opened some wounds at the same time. But Angel is so courageous with her coming forward and sharing her story. It really empowered so many other people who came from similar backgrounds to know that they are not alone and that even though that's a big part of their story, they're not defined by that, that they could still rise above that and, and make a, a truly powerful mark in this world. And she has done that. And so that ended up being a series, a TV series. It ended up being a podcast series. But the reason why I say that's my favorite story is because it truly, that just truly made me feel like that was a real life impact of people getting answers, people getting closure, people healing, and just really the power of storytelling of, you know, it may not always be a pretty story. It may not always be an easy story. Sometimes, you know, we tell some rough stories, but those stories have meaning too. And those stories also serve a purpose. So that was probably one of my favorites. I still communicate. In fact, I got a text from Angel's mother, who is her adoptive mom, but, you know, raised her since she was an infant. So very much considered a big part of her life, of course. So I still keep in touch with them. And that was, that was probably one of the greatest honors thus far in my career to be able to tell that story. Tell it. Meaningful work. You know, my, I was talking to my director at the museum and she said, you know, we tell stories and some of them feel good, some of them don't. But she said, if you walk through a museum and you walk out happy, we didn't really do our job. You know, to get the complete history of, uh, of a thing or a city or a community, there's going to be some highs and lows. So you shouldn't walk out wanting to feel good all the time. If you get Absolutely. You always try to water stuff down. I don't think we learn anything. Right. Right. And all that you do, get that wisdom and understanding. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? And, you know, you talked about, speak to me about that, that fourth grade young lady or young man that may have the privilege of sitting in a elementary broadcast studio or just watching someone on television because their mom keeps it on the news channel. That's in the fourth <laughs> grade in 2022. What can you say to that young man or young woman that may want to follow in footsteps like yours that they should, that aspiring journalists, what should they start preparing or, or look for if they want to become a news reporter or, or anchor or journalist like yourself? I would say watch news. Watch news. 
not don't just pay attention to what's being said. Pay attention to the questions that weren't answered. What what did you walk away feeling like, okay, but I still want to know this, this, this. That's the story. That's how you follow up. That that that's going to be how you can continue to move things forward, you know. So I would say pay attention. Pay attention to what is being talked about in your own community. Pay attention to what matters. I would say in our editorial meetings every day, Rodney, you know, and this, I have to say this because it's such a pet peeve when people tell me, oh, you only tell crime or you only, you guys do this because you want to do this stuff for ratings. That is so not true. When we're sitting in our editorial meetings, we are thinking about the viewer. What does, what is everybody talking about today? What do they want to know about today? What are the questions they still want answered? That's how we start our meetings. That's how we start discussions. We don't say, oh, this was the bloodiest thing that happened. Yep, that's the least story. Absolutely not. Nothing can be further from the truth. And I think people have to realize with your local news talent, we live in this community. You know, we have families here. Our kids go to school here. Those are my colleagues who have families and kids in school systems. We have loved ones who have businesses here. We worship in this community. We're just as invested in this community as our viewers are. And so this whole thing of like, we're just a, some separate entity that wants to see chaos and craziness and we're just doing things for ratings. I, you know, I, that couldn't be further from the truth. Or when people say, I don't watch the news, it's so depressing. I'll say, okay, well, you're not watching local news because there are a lot of uplifting stories. There are a lot of important stories. You know, the lead story for several weeks has been weather, you know, that. That plays a crucial role in the decisions that our school systems make in terms of how your children are going to learn for the day. You know, we, we've talked about stories that had to do with guns being brought to school. We've, had, we've told stories about investigations. But we also did a story and do many stories about people being recognized for great things. So I think people underestimate how well-rounded news is and how they may be surprised because they're going off of these sort of fairy tales of what they think news is. And I'm sorry, I think I, I got on a little bit of a, a soapbox and didn't answer okay. the question, Rodney. <laughs> uh, forgive me. What was your question there? What a fourth uh, aspiring journalist. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm well, sorry. I, you did. You 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 said you told them to watch the news and 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 then also <laughs> you're telling them to be prepared, you know, be a part of the community, you're immersed in the community and be conscious of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no age qualification. You can be a fourth grader and be very well aware of what's important to your network, your bubble. And and that is valuable. That is valuable. Really just look at the world around you and start paying attention and connecting the dots. I think that's where it starts. Uh, All of the other stuff, you know, how to use a camera, how to use a microphone, that stuff can be taught down the road. But I think the core of what makes a journalist is also being a critical thinker and asking questions and being naturally curious. I would also say, be yourself. You know, I think sometimes people think you have to have this big broadcast voice to do this job. That's not true. You know, just, girl, just talk regular. (laughs) You know, I think people think, I remember a lot of that in school, we would start doing these things that we thought a broadcaster was. And it's like, no, you have your own personality. You have your own presentation. 
own that. You know, if you have a Southern accent, okay. You know, that may work in a certain market, you know? So I think sometimes I think we get so bogged down with fitting a mold when really it's just about being able to connect with people. When I first got in radio, you had to have that statement sounding voice and then shortly after, man, just sound natural. And some people that, and, and that, and listen, there is a place for that and people have done very well with that and that's mm-hmm. their gift. But everybody doesn't have those pipes, okay? Hey, right. I didn't have, you know, but Buster Brown, he used to work, he long time worked at, uh, at uh, Jams, at 102 Jams. He he told me that. He said, man, just be natural, bro. You'll get it from <laughs> And uh, so I'm going to get you out of here on these last two questions. So I hear you and I showed up at the bowling alley and <laughs> they were going to wonder who was I'm not a betting man, but if I wanted to wager, most people would smartly have to put their money on you. You bowl in 300s. Well, you know, that was pre-pandemic, Rodney. So I'm a little, I'm a little rusty now. I haven't made it to the bowling alley during this, this season. I think the last time I went was maybe when we had a little bit of a safe window in 2021. So I may be a little rusty. Why do you like bowling so much? My mother-in-law loves it. She's an Abby. She really? Abby. I mean, she's in bowling <laughs> leagues like yourself, but... I, I, she socializes, but what is it about that experience that you like? Oh, goodness. You know, other, yes, it, it's a, a sport. I enjoy it, but I got to say the atmosphere, the people, mm. the people make it, you know, and bowling is something that is a huge credit to my father because my dad growing up, my parents bowled and my father took my sister and I to uh, a bowling league every Saturday morning and then he and I would go just the two of us after church on Sunday and we would bowl so that was our thing and he taught us how to bowl so he taught me my form my style and he has still gone to tournaments even into adulthood even when I've been here in the triad he and my mother have come to watch me bowl so that is something that I really learned from him and I have a lot of great memories my parents would do tournaments and they would travel uh, the country. I remember we went to Cincinnati a couple of times for a very popular tournament up there. So that's a big part of my childhood. My sister is a, a great bowler. A lot of people may not know this because she kind of, you know, she doesn't really want to toot her horn, but I will. She represented the state of Georgia in our youth bowling championships, which it takes a lot to get to that level. And she was bowling scratch. So scratch means... You don't get any extra pins. What you bowl is what you bowl. So if you bowl handicap, that means you get some extra pins based on your average. So if you bowl, let's say, 150 and you're getting 40 pins, you actually bowl to 190. Okay. But in scratch, if you bowl to 150, you bowl to 150. That's that. So (laughs) she uh, was a scratch bowler. And I I just remember watching her compete. And she was probably about 14. And she would just be, you know, tearing up the older girls on the lane. She's planning to get back out there. Our goal is to get back out there together. I think, you know, life happens and a lot of your hobbies and things can get put on the back burner sometimes. But I just have so many wonderful memories of watching my sister bowl, watching my parents bowl, us travel as a family. And I really think that is so important, especially when you work in a demanding field like news, you need to have an outlet. You really have to have an outlet. You really have to have something for you to balance out the craziness and the noise that can sometimes come with this job. And that's my outlet. And 
I love bowling in Greensboro. And so if any of the bowlers are listening, hello, everybody. I miss you guys so very much. Can't wait to get back out there. But that is a huge part of what I like to do, doing the tournaments. And I remember we would go to tournaments in Augusta, I would say most recently. Last one I did must have been 2019, 2020. And I remember telling the ladies, you know, I wasn't bowling well, but I was having a ball. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm just happy to be out here. I just enjoy the environment, whether I'm bowling well or just really, you know, tanking out there. I still try to find a way to have a good time because I love the people. I just love the environment. Yeah, it's important to have that out there. And uh, it's been a joy talking to you, uh, Nat. Thank you, Rodney. I've enjoyed it. Thorough journey. And, you know, when I watch <laughs> the news now, I'm going to look at it different. Uh, I see out there. Now, I know we can check you out at 4 p.m. Monday through Friday, correct? But what? Uh, so currently, um, I'm filling in for a colleague on maternity leave. So, and we just launched the new 7 p.m. newscast. So, from now until the end of March, you can catch me at five, six, seven, and ten. So I'm filling in for Katie Nordine until she returns, and then once she returns, my Main slot will be the 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. news Monday through Friday. All right. What about Twitter, Facebook, any handles? Yes. Thank you. So um, on Facebook, Natalie Wilson, WGHP Fox 8, Natalie Wilson TV on Instagram. And then on Twitter, I'm not, I can't remember my Twitter handle, Rodney. It may be Natalie Wilson, WGHP. I'm going to peek at my phone here quickly. Yeah, please do. Um, as you can tell, I guess. Twitter is not the dominant social media platform that I use. Yeah, my, you see how these are uh, nice to teach. And I've run into some of my students and sometimes and I say Facebook and they're like, Facebook? But on Twitter, I'm at Fox 8 Natalie, at Fox 8 Natalie. So whatever your, your platform of choice is, you can find me. Well, thank you for taking us on this journey. And we appreciate talking to you and we wish you much success. And uh, we're thank praying you. for you. Thank you. I received that. Yeah, and I just enjoyed it. And uh, just call us anytime if you need something and we can be of help. Please reach out to the music. Wonderful. Thank you, Rodney, for inviting me. I really appreciate it. All right. And thank you to all our listeners and for checking us out here on History Notes. You know, we started this as a teacher. I used to hate to do lesson plans, tell people all the time. This was a way that I thought a teacher could help supplement a lesson plan or build a lesson plan around. And uh, my master's, I got my instructional technology. So I've always loved technology. So I just am working radio, so I said, this is something we should bring to the museum. And it's worked out. We got to talk to a lot of interesting people, and today was no exception. So, History Notes, Rodney Dawson, thank you, Natalie Wilson from WGHB, and we'll tune in next time. We'll see you all then. Thank you. You've been listening to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. Just as you visited for this podcast, continue to go to www.greensborohistory.org and select the Discover and Learn tab to listen again or learn more about many other subjects. We also invite you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please stop by the museum when you can. We're located at 130 Summit Avenue, Greensboro. Hours vary, so visit our website or call 336-373-2043 for details. Once again, thank you and keep tuning in to History Notes.